morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. And the last time we looked at the new covenant, the new testament, the new agreement, the new treaty, the new pact that God has with his people, embedded where? Not in the new covenant or the new testament, embedded deep into the old testament. So if you didn't get that, please uh, check it out free on the website. Basically, it's, we cover Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, where God in the Old Testament, through a respected Old Testament prophet, uh, prophesied of this New Testament, this new covenant that was going to take place. Really great when you're witnessing to your Jewish loved ones and just show them these things and have them think about that. What does this say? What does he mean here? What is he referring to? And this morning, we're going to look at the difference between the two covenants. We're going to look at the details, the differences. The writer of Hebrews uh, wants to encourage the Hebrew Christians. And they're going through persecution. They're going through tough times. And I'm going to bring up Egypt. It's as if one of us was plucked up as a family out of this church in New Jersey and taken now to Egypt. You see what's going on there. You see the footage. The church is burning down. The Christians persecuted. Really bad stuff. Well, this happened you know, many times throughout history, and certainly it was leading up to it by this point that the book of Hebrews was written. So the Jewish Christians were fearful. They were tempted to kind of go back to the old system, so to take the heat off of them. So what happens is the writer of Hebrews, and the, 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 uh, the uh, topic or the title of today's message is a parallel universe. Now we know the scientists tell us that we're living in this universe, and there, there's another universe, and based on science we could kind of be in the same place but not touch each other. Well, they're right, in a sense. The writer of Hebrews is going to explain that the whole religious system, the whole spiritual system that was going on at the time, there was, that was just a copy. The original was in heaven. And he, by encouraging them with, with that, it would strengthen their faith to know that whatever happens in the temporal, it doesn't matter, because we're going to be spending eternity in, in heavens with the Lord, and we will always be in good comfort and love and encouragement, and none of that's going to change. Well, this morning what I'm going to do is, and forgive me here, I'm going to run the message like a Bible college. We're going to have some slides, a pointer, a laser pointer, and we're going to kind of do some visual aids today. So for those of you that, uh, you know, you're trying to take a break from college, I apologize ahead of time, but I think you'll enjoy it because I'm not going to quiz you or anything afterwards. Okay, so, and for the new believer, for somebody maybe who doesn't really know the Lord, the unbeliever who's here this morning, don't worry about it. Some of this stuff is going to go over your head, but try to understand the applications for your life, and we're going to make those as well. So we're going to jump in. First one. Now, we're only going to cover half the chapter this morning. Then, indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, or the holies the holy place. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there was the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, all the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared... The priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. 
the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Anybody confused a little bit? <laughs> so let's, let's check this out. So what he does is he starts with the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Agreement, and the sacrifices and the sanctuary. And then we're going to go on to the new. What we're going to see is worship, liturgy, ceremony under the old covenant. Now remember these words. Remember these words because they're going to be completely opposite when we go to the next few verses. One, separation due to sin. Inaccessibility due to God as a result of sin. Divisions, temple courts and rooms, temporary and copy. At this point, we're going to go into some illustrations and explain what they represent. So let's start with the first uh, idea or the first understanding is the court. So if we could get the first slide up. Now I'm going to look at a few things this morning and just throw in a little history for you because we're going to talk about what happened 2,000 years ago. We're going to talk about what's happening today and in the future. Pretty wild stuff, so try to keep up with it a little bit. Uh, if you look at the Herod's Temple... This is basically an aerial view of what you're looking at. Now, the, uh, the, the curtains or the, the veils faced east. So this would be what we would know as the Western Wall. Today, it's known as the Wailing Wall. This over here, if you go to, if you check it out on a search engine, you look at Temple Mount, Jerusalem, it's breathtaking because there's so much history there. What's really left is this wall over here of Jerusalem, and back here is remnants of the old city. Most everything else, the temple doesn't exist anymore because the Romans destroyed it in the Roman-Jewish War of A.D. 66 through A.D. 70. Now, if you look at the courtyards, you see here's the court of the priests, the court of Israel, the court of the women, uh, the Gentile courts. And today, what you have is, because this was leveled, you have the, uh, let's see, this is west, this is north. The Dome of the Rock is over here, Islam's holy site, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque is down over here. Now, a lot of scholars are divided about where exactly the temple should be, where the Holy of Holies was. As a matter of fact, some put the Dome of the Rock inside of the temple. Some put the temple over here, because there's actually a precipice, a cliff over there. Remember when Jesus, when Satan took him to the highest point and said, throw yourself down? Well, he would, he would have fallen down the height of the temple and the precipice, the cliff that was there. So all this stuff, Jesus' words start to really come to life through this. Now you can see with Islam's sites over here and the Jews wanting to rebuild their temple, why it's such a powder keg over there. Now you read Revelation, you read the end times. This is where it's all going to take place in Jerusalem. So you had your main temple here, you had your altar, you had your uh, laver to wash. This is where the sacrifices were made, uh, and then the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Fascinating stuff. If we could move on to the next slide, please. And this is just a, a smaller view. The words actually came out really small, but you see the Fortress of Antonia, uh, the temple here. Solomon's portico, the Kidron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, 
Remember Jesus praying here with his disciples? And then they went west across the Kidron Valley, went into Jerusalem. They were arrested, or they were arrested, brought into uh, the courts of the uh, priests. And, of course, Jesus was executed outside of the city. So here's the court of the women where the treasury was. Remember the, Jesus talking about the widow who brought in two mites? How did that happen in the temple? Because in the court of women was the treasury. So all this stuff starts to come to life. Now, two other scriptures before we even get into what we're talking about today. I could do this all day long. I love end times prophecy. Uh, Revelation 11, 1, 2 speaks about, he's speaking, uh, the, the apostle John is writing this down. It says, rise, measure the temple, but leave the outer courts. It's given to the Gentiles to tread upon the holy city. So in, the, in our future, the temple will be rebuilt. And you say, how is that possible? Exactly. Most likely the Antichrist will come, he'll broker some sort of a deal, he'll catch the Jewish people off guard, and then this great persecution will start to take place again. Book of Revelation tells us that the temple will be rebuilt again. Um, Luke 21, 24, Jesus speaks about the Gentiles trotting down Jerusalem until the time of the Gentiles is completed. So in a sense, when you look at the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, they are in either the courts or the actual where the temple is supposed to be, Jesus' words, many years later, are ringing true. For those of you who say, you know, you may have come here to, and said, oh, the Bible's just a book written by men. This stuff is breathtaking. This stuff is mind-boggling. This is speaking about our future. All this stuff that it speaks about is going to happen. If you're left behind and you think this is, you know, fairy tale, and you start to see when we're, all the Christians are gone that the temple's starting to be rebuilt, you better pick up a Bible and start praying because it's, it's, it's going to go down quickly. Okay, let's go back to the book of Hebrews. So the courts. Number one, separation, division. After the fall of man, mankind was separated from God. After the Tower of Babel, you know, they took, he took all the languages and divided people based on their languages. Sin causes division. It causes separation. Now, I read you an article some Sundays back about linguists who found the mother tongue, the mother language, where all languages emanate from. What does that tell you? Scientists tell us that somewhere in North Africa or the Middle East, life started for mankind. Well, we believe the same thing. They just refuse to believe in God. Pretty good stuff. Two, the tabernacle versus the temple. All that means is the tabernacle was temporary, where they could worship while they were in the wilderness, and every time they moved, they would pack everything up. It was portable. It was a portable church, and then they would set it up wherever they stayed for a while. The temple was a permanent structure. Same kishkas, for those of you who know he, uh, Yiddish, the same kishkas, the same guts, but basically the outside was different based on portable versus permanent. The third... Uh, terminology that I want to use is the holy of holies, the holy place. If we could go to the third slide. So um, the third slide before this slide. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the other third slide. Uh, so what we have is, again, this is an aerial view. This is a veil. There's a small room here called the holy of holies. There's another veil here where they would, the priests would walk in. This is a larger room. And there was a few items that were here. And we're going to talk about those items. It was the table of showbread, the candlestick, the incense of altar. Then once a year, the high priest would walk into the veil 
and minister in the Ark of the Covenant and uh, deliver a, a blood sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of not only the priest, but the sins of the people. He would also go in there with the censer, which we'll talk about as well. The priest could not go in. First of all, only the priest could go into the first, the bigger room. All right? Regular people could not go in there. Uh, they, were, they, had to be, they had to approach it a certain way. They ministered every day. Uh, and then only the high priest once a year could go into that other room because God's presence, his Shekinah glory, his inhabiting presence was actually there. We talked about a little bit that, about that last Sunday. Now, when we look at the lampstand, it had seven branches to it, and they were little receptacles with like little wicks and oil. And this provided light. There was no indication that this structure had any windows in it. So this seven-branched uh, uh, lampstand had to provide the light. Number one, God is light. We're going to look at a lot of the symbolism this morning. Number two, seven branches. Seven is God's number of perfection. We also know in Isaiah 11:2 of the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit, the complete work of the Holy Spirit. The fifth point, the table of showbread. There were 12 loaves, and every Sabbath they would bring new bread out, and the priests would eat that in the, temp- in the temple. The, it was called the bread of presence, and each loaf repre- represented one of the tribes of Israel. We know Jesus is the bread of life. The sixth point are the veils. You don't really see them here, but they're these open doorways, and instead of a door, there were these heavy curtains, heavy, thick fabric material curtains that were separating the people from where the priest ministered and the priests from where the high priest ministered. Again, separation. The golden altar of incense. This was emblematic, this incense that came up, uh, was emblematic of the prayers of the saints, also Christ's intercession. And this, once a year, the high priest would take the censer in addition with the blood sacrifice and he would wave it and fill up the room of the Holy of Holies with uh, this smoke of the incense. And lastly, the last artifact is the Ark of the Covenant. And basically the Ark of the Covenant was, um, and different artists have different renditions. Uh, it, It was a box, you know, a few feet, and it was certain measurements, this box, and it was, uh, it was overladen with gold. There was a cover on it. It was called the mercy seat. And there was uh, on this cover were two cherubim facing each other with their wings outstretched. It was fashioned on this mercy seat. And inside of it were three things. The golden pot of manna, which he talks about, Aaron's rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments, which we'll talk about as well. Again, God said his presence would dwell upon that mercy seat. That's why you couldn't just come to God. First of all, it had to be a certain type of person, and he had to bring a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. You couldn't just get to God in the Old Testament. And I hope that by the time we're done with this, we have a really new appreciation for the relationship that God offers us with him. So this is all in the Old Testament. We're going to get to the the good part of where in in the dispensation we live in the age of grace. And we should really take advantage of that. A lot of people aren't. So the contents, number one, the golden pot of manna, God's provision in the wilderness. Two, Aaron's rod that budded. This goes back to number 17. It was a dispute and, you know, God had set forth Moses and Aaron to be the leaders. And there were rebels back then, as there are today. 
and they continued to fight with them and they said no well you know you guys are taking on too much we want to do some leadership too so what happened was there was this uh, litmus test that they used and from each tribe they had a stick a dead stick a rod and they would bring it into God's presence and they would leave they would come back and they found out that Aaron's rod remember this is a dead stick started to bud there were blossoms flowers and fruit coming off of that stick he brought it back to life indicating two things God's ordained leadership it was assigned to the rebels also it was a picture of future resurrection that budding branch that was completely dead now here's the interesting thing in addition you know if you keep a flower nice flowers out eventually you have to replace them because they dry up and they wilt well the golden pot of manna this bread like substance that God rained from heaven in the wilderness so the children of Israel should be sustained probably had vitamin E vitamin D vitamin C everything you could imagine was in this manna uh, it was in this pot it was in the ark and it didn't go bad also Aaron's budding rod when they would open if they could open up that cover they would see it was, it was still blossomed so they it was preserved God preserved them uh, they were not sub subject to entropy or decay now the third thing was of course the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments was the law we talked about the law last few Sundays we read the law we see that we're not perfect we see that we fall short my sin might be different from Russ's might be different from Melissa's or you know Mike's over here but we all listen you come you read enough of the laws you realize oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not good with that one you realize your shortcomings and you realize your need for a Messiah now the Ten Commandments on these tablets were a microcosm of the entire law. Personal law, ceremonial law, interpersonal law, hundreds of laws. The Ten Commandments were really a microcosm, snapshot of those laws. And what's interesting is the law, the, the tablets would be in this ark and the mercy seat would be over it and the priest would come in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat and basically indicating that the broken law that we broke it was covered by the blood of an innocent animal to make atonement that is a parallel of course with Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world we'll get to that too okay verse 8 through 10 let's read it again it says the Holy Spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. You couldn't get to God. You couldn't just get to God because we're sinners, we're separated. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. In other words, Besides separation is the word barriers or limitations. And the Holy Spirit points out what? Number one, that as long as the old system was in play, remember, when this was written, the temple was still standing. But for a few years into that future, it was going to be destroyed. However, Jesus had already died on the cross and rose from the dead. So it was this transition that people were making from the old system, which can only show us our faults, it couldn't change our hearts. It couldn't change our conscience. All it could do is show us that we were faulty. And now this new system where Jesus came to die for our sins, he fixed it all. 
Yeah, we, we, we become a new creature in Christ. We have a new nature. We're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. He died for our sins. It's not held against us anymore. It's not a hopeless situation anymore. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. You know, the, the old system, the temple, you know, the curtains could rip, the, uh, the wood would decay, um, you know, some, it's like a house, you'd have to fix it. So the old system was imperfect because men made it, and it was made from materials that were subject to the second law of thermodynamics, the law of decay, the law of entropy. So the, there had to be upkeep in the temple, had to be cleaned, it had to be fixed. But we're going to talk about, it's really going to be cool, this, this system or this original that's in heaven. So we're going to talk about the new covenant. Now I want you to remember some different words now that we're in Christ, now that Christ has come. Different words, unity, original, eternal, perfect, close to God, and relationship with God. That's the era that we live in. I want to illustrate, before we go into what Christ did, this, the fourth slide, and basically it was an artist's rendition of the old tabernacle or temple and, the, and really the original in heaven. Now we read, I'm not going to read it again, but we read Revelation 4, and I read to you what the disciple John saw when he looked into the throne room of God and he wrote it down. And I think they do a pretty good uh, rendition here. So the Holy of Holies, which we talked about, where the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, the golden, uh, the uh, loaves of showbread, the laver where the priest would wash, the altar where the sacrifice was slaughtered to bring that blood in there. And if you read Revelation 4, we see the throne room of God. I mean, if we saw it, we'd probably be floored. But we read it on, on pages, which kind of takes a lot out of it. But he sees the throne of God. He sees the rainbow, the lightnings behind the throne or near the throne. He sees the cherubim, you know, the angels, the angelic beings, the living beasts, and the elders surrounding the throne of God. Seven lamps, lights that are burning, the altar of incense, and also the sea of glass. So you kind of see this, again, can, can mankind, can I, can John, can any, can we really explain fully the awesome nature of God and what he has prepared for us? No, because we're still in the flesh. We can do the best we can, but it doesn't do it justice. But you can see that basically what he's saying is God tried to make what was in heaven a copy that was on earth, but it was only temporary. So let's check this out piece by piece. What did Christ accomplish? How did he change things in the new covenant? Number one, the courts and the divisions, no more. The Bible says we are neither Jew nor Greek. We are neither male nor female. We are neither slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. The Bible says we are all one in the body of Christ. Now, you know, you, you, you read stuff in the news, you see things, and there's just so much turmoil in our country. There's so many social problems, and people still keep trying to divide us. 
black, white, Republican, Democrat, man, woman. Everybody's fighting for a slice of the pie. Everybody's saying, well, I need to be, my voice needs to be heard. The beautiful thing about the church is, if I held up a mirror, this is what the church should look like. We are all diverse here in this room. We come from different backgrounds. We speak different languages. You know, we come from different cultures. When we have our barbecues, we bring different foods. We share our cultures with each other, and we celebrate that. But the thing is, what we all understand as Christians or should understand is that we are all one in Christ. All the division was removed. Worldly people are still focusing on our differences where true Christians have to focus on our unity. That brings me to the next point. What is the church? The church is diverse people groups that come together under one tent, Christ's blood. Unfortunately, in the Western church, sometimes the attitude is, I go to church. I'm going to try different churches. I'm going to see what these churches offer me. Instead of coming with the mindset of saying, I am the body of Christ, I'm a part, I'm a shoulder, I'm an elbow. You take my elbow away, I'm going to have some problems. You know? If you're a shoulder or you're an elbow, you're a knee, you're important. You're a big toe, you're important. We have to get out of the Western mindset of what church is. We go to church to be a part of the church. How can I be a part of the body of Christ? Where can I fit in in this church? Not what can I go for, what can I get, where could I disappear for for three months and then come back and make sure everybody's still here. That's not functional. The church brings unity. It brings us together. Two, when we look at the tabernacle and the temple, <laughs> again, the, the, the Jews would probably sit around. If I was in Jerusalem back then, I would say, wow, look at that temple over there. You know, when, when they dedicated it, there was this smoke and all the priests ran out and God's presence filled, but they were all so excited. God's presence, his inhabiting presence was on top of the mercy seat. Imagine what it's like being the high priest and going in there. God's not contained in buildings. He even said that. He even said that when they were building the temple. He goes, heaven and earth can't contain me, but I'll be there. Part of me will be there while I run the entire universe at the same time. Love that about him. God's a great multitasker. You know what I'm saying? He's like, how can he hear all these prayers at the same time? You know, I can listen. I, I'm, when I'm at a social event, I can hear two conversations at the same time, maybe three. After that, I'm done. But God can, he's just amazing. So where was I? <laughs> okay. God can't be contained in a structure. But you know what's really cool? He does contain himself in a structure now under the new covenant. Right? Excellent. Right here. In the form of the Holy Spirit, God dwells. A part of him dwells in the believer. And you know it, man. When you start getting your, your, your bearings about what it's like to be a Christian, you start that relationship with him, you know. The Holy Spirit will tell you, that's dangerous. Don't do that. Who said that? You know, and you find out later, well, I'm glad I didn't do that. Don't make that decision. It's a bad decision. Hey, that person over there is struggling. This is their story. Go talk to them. And you end up talking to yourself. That's a perfect stranger. You go and you do what you're told, and the person tells you just what the Holy Spirit just told you five minutes ago. That's beautiful. So God now doesn't dwell in structures. He dwells in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he does it. Three, <laughs> the priests and the temple. Revelation, under the New Covenant, Revelation 1.6 says that we are now all a kingdom of priests. That means that we all have equal standing before God. I'm one of you. I'm not better, better than any of you. Some of you have better gifts than I have, and I, I'm impressed by it. 
So we all have the same standing before God. We all come and, and you know what's really cool too? For those of us, our loved ones or strangers that we meet that don't know the Lord, we're, we're priests. We're a kingdom of priests, which means that we can make intercession for that unsaved person. We can pray for them. We can encourage them. We can show them God's word. We can tell them about Jesus. We end up being sort of like a mediator. Uh, so, so things have changed. You don't need a priesthood anymore. We covered that. No need for priests anymore in this dispensation. Four, the lampstand, the light. Under the new covenant, Christ is the light of the world. And this is how we get blessed too. We're to reflect that light as believers. Does it mean we're always on our game? Listen, for those of you that are having some struggles, it's okay. You know, we, we go through these times. You go through different, difficult times. I don't want to paint the rosy picture of my life. I've got my bad days too. But for the most part, any time I want, God will, will, will flow through me if I want him to, if I can stop being a baby and sit in my pity party. He can, he can work through me, right? So we're to reflect that spiritual light in a very spiritually dark world. Now, what could be more important this summer than that? That's exciting. When, you're, when I get a believer who comes up to me and says, for the first time that they've been used, a new believer, and they're just on fire, their faces are glowing, they're so excited, they're talking so fast, I can't keep up with them because they're being used by God. It's something they've never experienced before as an unbeliever. This is the blessing that we have in this dispensation. Fifth, the showbread. I'll come back to it when we get to the manor. The manna. <laughs> Sixth, the veils. We know that when Jesus died, that, the, the, that huge curtain in the Holy of Holies, between the holy place and the Holy of Holies, that huge curtain, that huge thick veil, was torn not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, saying, God said, that's me. The presence where I'm sitting, it's open now to mankind because of what my son did on the cross. No needs for separation in, in those veils. You know what that leads us to? Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That was unheard of in the Old Testament. Everybody knew. Don't let your stray goat, you know, run, you know your pet goat run away and run up those steps into that building. He's going to be toast. He's going to be roasted goat. He's going to be, um, what's that stuff? Anyway. Uh, any, <laughs> don't, don't let a, a regular person go into that building and go into the Holy of Holies. They're not going to make it. But God said when, when Jesus died on the cross, he ripped that, that barrier and he said, everybody can come in to my presence under Jesus Christ. Again, to the Acts 6-7, I quoted this um, last Sunday, this Sunday before. A whole bunch of priests came to the faith, the Bible says. All these priests going, wow, wow, things have really changed. And they kind of just discarded their priestly garb and said, there's no reason for me anymore. Jesus did it all. And they became Christians, right? And that was actually pretty humbling for their position before that. What else do we have here? Number seven, the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints. Now the prayers of the saints, instead of corporately, which we do pray corporately, but we can also pray individually. Anybody can pray to God. Right? Under Jesus Christ, you can have that personal relationship with your Creator. Number eight, the Ark of the, of the Covenant, representing God's presence and reminding that God is with us. Well, we know through the Holy Spirit, God is in us, God is with us, and God can be upon us. And we say as believers, affectionately, 
that we can't get away from him affectionately. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And David gives all these examples of where he could go and God's still there. The, the depths of the depths, God, he's still there. The highest mountain, you there, God? Yeah, I'm still here. Wherever you go, God is still there. This is, this is important. And I, I guess it brings me to a point today where are we giving our best to God? You know, back in the day, you would take your animal and you would bring it to the priests, and it's sad. They would have to kill it very humanely, and, and then the blood would be offered. And this is how offensive sin is. Now, in the New Testament, we don't have to bring our goats and stuff because Jesus Christ offered his own blood for our sin. But I guess my question is do we give God our best? Does our lifestyle reflect that we give God our best? Think about that for a moment. It kind of reminds me of a story of a farmer who had a cow who gave birth to two calves, twin calves. And he's so excited, he runs into the house and he says to his, to his wife, Honey, 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 twin calves, this is so awesome. I'm so excited. We're going to keep one and we're going to offer the second one to God. So she said, Well, which one is God's and which one is ours? He goes, Well, I haven't decided yet. So over months and months and months, the, the baby cows were starting to grow and, and the wife would ask and he would just say, I haven't decided yet. So she stopped asking. One day the farmer runs into the house all depressed and sad and the wife goes, honey, what's wrong? He goes, God's calf died. <laughs> just got it. <laughs> he, um, you know, he decided... Hey, you know, I, I want to keep the good one for myself. Poor God, his calf died. You know, as Christians, we can be like that. We can save the best for us. We can be so selfish with our time and our events and the things that we do. And we give God that. So it's something to consider. I tell you this too, that Jesus, he picked up the tab for us. The tab of our sins and, and the, the condemnation, the damnation, all the things that we've accumulated over time as sinners. Jesus said, I got that one. I got it. I got the check. That's it. You don't, have to, don't cover the tip. Don't cover anything. I got it all taken care of. No obligation anymore. Which one of you here today feels that your sins are too great that God can't forgive them? Well, I'll tell you, you're wrong. Whatever it is, whatever you're involved in, whatever you did, God, Jesus picked up the tab for your sins. You're free. No obligation. So the contents of the ark, number one, the golden pot of manna. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. We look at communion. We look at what we partake of as a body. As the bread sustains us nutritionally, and back then, today you go into the supermarket, you could get whatever you want. Exotic fruits, foods from another country, imported stuff, canned stuff. Back then, you had simple staples of life. So bread was a symbol of, of sustenance. It had protein, it had carbohydrates, it had vitamins in it, it had fiber. And um, Jesus likens himself as the bread of life. He sustains us spiritually. And we all take of the same loaf, that same Jesus. Two, Aaron's rod that budded. Again, walking into, that, uh, into the temple or the tabernacle and seeing that dead stick with flowers on it and fruit. They, they must have been like showing it around to each other. This is amazing. 
resurrection, a symbol of resurrection. God can bring anything back to life. And someone once said, too, that as believers, we are invincible. Now, think about this. We are invincible until God is done using us. So the, what God will fulfill through us will be fulfilled. Nothing can hurt us, you know, until he's done using us. That's very encouraging to think about. And third, the Ten Commandments. The law is still relevant and still good, but it's not so scary anymore. It used to, under the Old Covenant, condemn people. You're, 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 you're at fault. You're messed up. And the law says, there's nothing I could do for you, but let me just tell you what the situation is. It's, it's not good. Romans 8.1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ who do not walk according to the, the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Nobody has to be judged or condemned by the law. We are free. The law is good. I don't want to kill. I don't want to steal. I don't want to lie. I don't want to do any of those things. I want God to help me to preserve my character and my reputation because I, I represent him. Back in the old day, I could care less who liked me, who didn't like me. I don't really care who likes me now, but I also want to have a good character. You know what I'm saying? I want to have a good testimony. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But this morning, if you don't know the Lord, you don't have to be judged by the law. This morning, you can make that profession of faith. Jesus already did the heavy lifting 2,000 years ago. 11 through 14. We're going to go through uh, actually five more verses, and then we're going to stop for today. But it says... Actually, see, not with the blood of goats and calves, I'll read it again, verse 12, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, that was the old system, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, blemish, imperfection, defect, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the old system, Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. That has not changed in the old covenant. And you have to ask people who are still following the old covenant, are you doing blood sacrifices? No. Well, then how are you keeping the law? You can't. According to Leviticus, the temple's gone. The answer is that Jesus Christ offered his own blood and in a sense, it's kind of pretty wild. You know, he, he offers his blood on the cross. He dies for our sins. And he goes to the Father and says, here's the blood. It's my blood. Perfect sacrifice. Remember, in, in, the, in the Old Covenant, like I said, that joke about the farmer. If you took your animal and it was the limping one or the one with the, you know, the, the, the mange or whatever your animal has and you don't want to use it for food or whatever because, or milking because you think something's wrong with it, people actually did take their mangy animals and bring them to the temple and God says in his law I don't want your I want your best I'm God I deserve it and he's right he does deserve it so Jesus as without spot without blemish lived a sinless life you know fully man but also fully God spilled his blood he offered it to God God said I father said I accept it and it's it's done he did that one sprinkling and it was over with once and for all I meet people all the time that feel that they're unworthy to come to church. And I try to encourage them and say, you don't realize what God did for you. I said, you got to come. you got to check this out. you got to hear his word. This is for you. It's up to you whether you want to choose it or not. 
verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, the New Testament, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Christ is the mediator, mediator of the new covenant, and what's really cool, his sacrifice. You ever hear the expression, he died for the sins of the past, people, present, and future? That's called retroactive. We, we, we look at that in law, civil law, um, sometimes criminal law, where a law can apply to something retroactive, meaning from this point the law is made, but everything several years, 10, 20 years in the past Jesus' sacrifice went retroactive all the way to those in the Old Covenant. He died for them as well. Only, only his sacrifice could do that. So my question to you this morning is, what are you putting your trust in? Is it someone? People are temporary. Is it something that's temporary? Something inaccessible? Something that's a copy, a cheap imitation? Something that's limited? Or are you putting your trust in something or someone who's eternal, the original, and it gives you a relationship with God? Knowing this, the Hebrew Christians, I'm sure, had a If you're living in a time where you're, you're in the Old Covenant, and you're, that must have been, I think the days that we're living in are exciting. But imagine being a believer. Imagine being somebody that lived under the old covenant, saw the temple and all the things that happened, and then Jesus Christ dies and you believe in his sin and the temple's still there, but then a few years later the temple's gone and you're in this transitional period. That must have been amazing. So, listen, as Gentiles, sometimes we can't dig this so much. But I've got to tell you, the more I read the Bible, the more I study it, the more I have a greater appreciation for him because I'm digging it. I get what he's saying here. So the Hebrew Christians definitely, from old to new, this transition, they were very appreciative, but they were also very scared. And, you, and sometimes we read the Bible and we can be a little callous. What's wrong with those people? This is inspired word of God. Okay, let's take your family now, fly them to Egypt, drop you off and say, go ahead, make a life, and tell everybody you're a Christian, by the way. See how far you get. Go try to find a church that hasn't been burnt down. So we, we have to sometimes step out of where we are and step into what's going on here in the scripture. And we say, whoa, now I understand. But he's saying it's okay, even if you lose your life, you're going to the original. You're going to the eternal. So my question this morning is, what is our appreciation level for the Lord? And, and is it reflected in our lives, in our lifestyles? When you have unsaved co-workers or family members and they look at your life, what do they think? Do they think you're totally sold out for the Lord? Not obnoxious, but just love the Lord. Or that we're comp we compromise. I tell you, especially growing in the Lord, it didn't take long for people that I knew who weren't saved to point out that I was a hypocrite at times. And I would get so frustrated, but I couldn't get mad at them. It was me. They were right. I had to look in the mirror. Do we compromise? Do people see it? Are we posers? Are we disloyal? Do we have critical spirits? Sometimes Christians are in the Christian community so long that they're always picking. They pick at people at the world. They pick at people in the church, brothers and sisters. They're annoying. They're constantly peck, 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 like getting pecked to death by a duck. You know what I'm saying? It takes a lot for that to happen. I, I was reading some of the, 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 
the dialogue between E.S. Jones, who was a great evangelist in, in India. He went to India, among other places. And he knew Gandhi. And they would have discussions. And Gandhi did say, Oh, I love your Christ. I don't like your Christians. They're hypocrites. They don't live by what the Bible says. And let me tell you something, folks. That's a tall order. That's a, a tall order for me. It's not easy to do. But it can only be done through the power of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Read some of those dialogues. I don't know if Gandhi ever became a Christian when he died. I don't know. But I know that, you know, it, it was tough. And, you know, you've you got to admit that unbelievers have a point at times. But there's hope for us. You know, there's hope. If we're not doing the right thing, we can always ask for repentance. Here in this book, these people were going through adversity. And it was causing them to wane a little bit in their, in their faith. Americans, sometimes it's the opposite. Instead of adversity, it's prosperity. It's technology, whatever ologies you can think of. We're, we're distracted. We're, we have so many things to choose from. We have so many mates. I don't like my wife. I don't like my husband. There's plenty of fish in the sea. So many choices. I go down the bread aisle, there's a hundred different types of bread. And, and it could mess with us. So sometimes it's the prosperity that can hurt us. And we have to consider that. But the bottom line is this, that there is a parallel universe. That when we tend, as American believers in 2013, to look at the world and think this is it. Things are going good, I jump into that. I forget about the Lord. Things are going bad, you know, I'm tempted to maybe shy away from the Lord in some ways. But the bottom line is, the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's a parallel universe. This is not it. And the more we understand that there's an original the more we understand that that's waiting for us, the more we understand that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that it's coming to us if we don't get raptured first, it, it gives us a different perspective. And my prayer this morning is that we understand that perspective, take it all in, and just uh, see what the Lord does in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths, Lord.